nachos in the 80s people like discovered nachos and it was like a thing that people were like making nachos at home it's the same thing with nymphomaniacs and tantric sex and nachos what do we do hey you're listening to quarantine comics i'm ryan joe I'm Roman Segal. And the world is opening up, but we're still too scared to move. So last week we looked at Rick Remender's modern take on a multiverse epic with Black Science. And this week we're having another crack at the multiverse with a much older graphic novel, Brian Talbot's The Adventures of Luther Arkwright, which was initially published in nine volumes from 1978 to 1989. Its nine-volume sequel, The Heart of Empire, came out in 1999, and a third volume is scheduled for release in 2022. So basically, Talbot publishes a new adventure every 23 years. But we're sticking with the first one today. So The Adventures of Luther Arkwright is a sci-fi story set amongst parallel worlds, and in a few sentences, it's about an adventurer named Luther Arkwright, who defunct, who's trying to prevent the multiverse from collapsing at the hands of a shadowy group of aliens called the Disruptors. Luther is unique in that, unlike everyone else, only one version of him exists, and he can travel between different parallel universes. And he is aided by a woman named Rose Wilde, who is unique because she can communicate telepathically with her parallel selves. So unlike most modern, slickly produced sci-fi epics, Luther Arkwright feels more like an underground comic strip. Talbot's art is this inky black and white that looks like it owes a lot to R. Crumb. And the storytelling, especially in the opening chapters, is incredibly disjointed and nonlinear. It's also incredibly dense. So if you have a passing knowledge of the English Civil War, Soviet-era comics, and tantric sex, then you'll have a better understanding of this book than we and have. Run on, and, and run on sentences. And run on sentences. And stream of consciousness. Anyway, we're going to try to talk about it anyway. So, was this an amazing transcendent adventure? Did it feel like homework? Was it somewhere in between? With us, to help figure this out, is Adam Boritz, an editor at the online lit mag The Millions and at Publishers Weekly. Adam, thanks for being here. Ryan Joe, thank you for having me. So, what's, I'm just curious, what's your background with comics, Adam? I would describe my background with comics as pretty lowbrow. In terms of my comic reading, like I started reading comics when I was like in middle school. It was like Spider-Man and stuff like that. And actually, like my mom was really opposed to it. And I would have to like go to the local convenience store and buy them there and kind of hide them from her. And then since then, I like, you know, I probably hit like all of like the classics in terms of like graphic novels. But I feel my comics love mainly is for like Spider-Man, Batman, Punisher, kind of the superhero stuff. Well, Adam, I gotta ask. So, when you say the classics, what are the classics in graphic novels to you? Oh, you know, like like uh, from Hell, Watchmen, V for Vendetta, that kind of stuff. You know, like so, uh, Alan Moore. <laughs> yeah, just the Alan Moore. <laughs> no, but here, but here's what I love. I feel like when every someone's like, "Yeah, I read more than superheroes," uh, and they always come back to Alan Moore, and that's such a compliment to him because I would say to the masses, he's one of the few people who have like transcended the yeah, superhero genre. Sure. But I mean, but, but really, the love is for the superheroes, though. So I'm, I'm kind of so actually, it's it's great that we're doing Luther Arkwright because Brian Talbot was a big influence to guys like Alan Moore and Warren Ellis, Grant Morrison, and Garth Ennis, all of the the Brits that we know and love. Um, and I'm just kind of curious about how you guys felt about it because it's both 
really kind of conventional in the fact that multiverse stories are done to death. Like literally everyone has a multiverse now, but at the same time, it's just a very unique and strange take on a multiverse. Um, just curious, Roman, like what did you, what, what was your impression of this? I know that initially you started this out, you're like, holy shit, this thing is taking me forever to get through. <laughs> yeah, well, first, I want to take umbrage with how you described it. I mm -hmm. don't see the R. Crumb influences at all. As someone who's read a lot of this stuff, it's black and white. That's about as close as an art style as I can say. I mean, I'm, not, I'm, talking, was... I'm talking aesthetically. Well, even, the, even that, the, like aesthetically, I was reading a hyper-realistic comic. I love comics as a literary medium. The art has always been icing on the cake for me since I went from superheroes to stopping reading and getting back into superheroes and everything else outside. But again, like this, the art, the style was so distinct. The It was a very mixed medium, whether it's, you know, before Alan Moore was doing prose newspaper headlines, this guy was doing it. It was hyper-realistic. And I, anyway, the, the I just... All, all due respect to R. Crumb, I just think this this art is in a it's in another league, and that was the thing that kept me sticking around. When, as you alluded, I felt like in the first ten pages when I tried to start reading it two weeks ago, I felt like I was doing homework, but then it picked up. It, then it pulled me in. So overall, there are some things that we can talk about that I didn't dig as much, but overall, yeah, I mean solid B. But when, when you put it in the historical context of when this was written, this predates so many of the concepts and so many of the attempts, like it's ahead of Alan Moore, you know? So it's always cool to, you know, hear the music that influenced the Beatles. So to see something that might've influenced some of the other greats that, you know, so many of the masses know about. Yeah. It left an impression on me. I'll just leave it at that. What, what were you thinking, Adam? It's just a, such a weird book to be dumped into. Yeah, you know, there are things that I, you know, would like to like that I don't like. <laughs> the Beatles, for example, that is one. And I guess this this book, too. I mean, I didn't hate it. And I did really love the art. And I think I agree that the art was what kept me going. And every page, there was something that was really visually compelling. But I read it in two sittings. So I read, like, the first third. And I was, like, pretty confused but okay, I, thank I, you. Thank you, Adam. Thank you yeah, so much. You know, I was okay with it. I was like, okay, I kind of understand there's all these parallel worlds. He's doing yeah. things in different ones. Then we have some flashbacks to how he got recruited or whatever he, it was. So I was okay with it. But I also really have come to the point in my life where I don't like not understanding things I'm reading, like in comics or in fiction or whatever. But then it was really weird because I feel like I stopped at the point where it stopped being confusing. So then I read it like the rest of it in one sitting like two days later and it kind of all made sense. So that was weird. But... Adam, oh my God. Like I, I I feel like I'm not stupid anymore. Thank you for yeah. saying that. Because no. Like, no, I started I started book one. I was like, oh, this is high school. And then the next, uh, two nights later, I went and read like a bunch of dumb superhero stuff because I was just like, I need to clean my brain. Yeah. I started over and I was like, I'm going to power through this like season one of The Wire. <laughs> and I powered through book one. And yeah, it all just clicked after that. And I felt like there were like markers that if I wanted to figure out what was going on, I could. But it was all these little things with these dates and these different parallel worlds with numbers. And I was like, I'm just not going to bother figuring it out. And then I didn't have to because it started to make sense. Well, I think it started to make sense because I'm going to dig into the book a little bit, Ryan. Like it started out super ambitious and I was confused. 
and maybe he got feedback from readers, but even like mm-hmm. I was trying to decode what the numbers of the universes were, right? And then book two, or towards the end of book one, maybe, they're like, nah, fuck it. We're just going to stick to one parallel Earth. Mm. And, we're just, and I was texting Ryan about this. It's like, it's not the last book we read where it's like every other issue is like jumping to a different universe. And this one says there are infinite universes, universe I, and they kind of just stay in the Cromwell Britain for for the whole book yeah and i'll just point out like in the sequel which we're not reviewing but that whole thing stays in that same britain it's it's sort of like brian talbot had this as you mentioned this these grand ambitions and then i kind of just think he got really enamored with one particular parallel earth and decided yeah. to just keep going there and all of the other parallel earths that high concept it just became set decoration maybe just the the, the, the conceptual framework off which to build this weird parallel earth story but the warfare, you know, the whatever that Cromwell Earth was, that was kind of where the stand was going to be. That's where they had. And it came back to me. I actually forgot what the grand plan of the good guys was until the end. They're like, oh, this was all just architected to get the disruptors to show up so we can, you know, do a homing beacon back. And then, it yeah, got which is back. which is kind of a dumb basic concept. And I'm actually really glad to read this now and with you two. Because it, I mean, you guys, I think, were able to figure it out after reading it once. It literally took me three tries. Uh, admittedly, the first time I was 16, and then I tried to read it again in my <laughs> 20s. And he didn't quite, I was like, man, am I am I just really dumb? Or is it the storytelling just kind of vague and really, really fractured? And hearing you guys kind of talk about it, it, it sort of validates that I'm not completely an imbecile. Well, I had the same fear after my first third, and then I like went online and I like, looked for like some reviews, and th- and there were all these comments like this book makes no sense to me, and I was like, oh, okay, I'm not a total idiot. <laughs> well, one thing I did, you know, so I struggled with book one, I took a break, I came back and I powered through it, and then two and three made sense, and I was like, oh, should I go now that I get it? Should I go back and read volume one? I was like, I don't think I want to. I had another thing I had to read by the end of the weekend, <laughs> and so I was like. I'll go see what Wikipedia has, and it doesn't have much. But what I discovered, and I told Ryan this, they made a radio drama of this. And so I sent that to Ryan. I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting. We should try to track that down. And I did a little bit of reading on the radio drama. Didn't listen to it, but I actually thought about buying like the CDs on eBay. This reads like a radio drama. I feel, I mean, look, as beautiful as the art is, and I'm, I'm such a proponent of stay in the medium, don't make a Watchmen movie, don't make a live action Avatar The Last Airbender. But at the same time, I, I mean, when I, as I think about the, the plot points, some of the, the tantric narratives and run-on sentences, I genuinely think like this would make for great radio drama. And one of the Doctor Whos was the voice of Luther. I haven't listened to it, but I almost wonder, is this the exception where the second medium is better than the first? Being on radio without the images, you'd have to explain a lot more. You'd... You know, and I, and I was kind of wondering about Brian Talbot's dis- I don't even actually know if it was a decision not to explain a lot immediately because in the early stages, there's like a, it's really kind of a bunch of disjointed images that take place across different parallel Earths, different dates, and it's like a puzzle that you have to piece together. And I'm not sure whether that's a decision that Brian Talbot made or whether he just didn't know how to tell a visual story yet because he was just sort of starting out, like whether his ambition was ahead of his ability at that time. I wonder if it was a decision to make the text so small because there were like, I mean, I'm, I'm older than you guys by a bit. I, I think. And oh, wait, how did you, how did you read it, man? On a tablet? 
you know, no, I got it on the tablet first, and it was so annoying that I then I ordered it and it, I read it uh, in print. But well, I, and, what, and I'm genuinely curious, was your print edition like tabloid size? Because I, I got these oh, eBay tabloid like magazine size books. It's like normal comic book size. Yeah. Huh. But Not like slightly bigger. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But I had to, you know, break out the reading glasses. But see, so we we talked about this on a previous uh, <laughs> episode, actually, I think maybe a few weeks ago. But like, I think I think the versions I got because they were printed in the UK, it's the size of a magazine, like yeah. a magazine on the rack, not a comic book. And we we read another book that you know the issues were the size of album covers, and the graphic novel was super small, and you missed out on a lot. But like, hmm. I I didn't have that issue, and I wonder it's because these were like British Ashcan tabloids. Oh yeah, I think that must be the case then, because like there are some sections where I almost needed like a ma- uh, magnifying glass. It was like so small. Yeah, I had that issue too, and I have kind of like a standard size graphic novel. I actually didn't realize the original volumes were were th- were that big. I'm guessing the parts you were having trouble reading were the newspaper articles. Um, yeah, some of those, and like yeah. there's just, yeah, and and that was like part that I liked the most actually was what's that guy's name? Yeah, the, the American Kowalski yeah. or something. Yeah, I I loved his parts, but yeah, they were difficult to read. But they were the only parts that kind of explained in prose. Yeah, yeah I was like, this is, makes sense. Yes, another newspaper article. <laughs> when did it start to make sense to you? Like, there's, there's, it took, it, I think it took me about 15 pages before. I think part of it is he also kind of simmered down on all the parallel Earths and started focusing on Prince I mean, Charles versus the Cromwells. The assassination plot, and again, to be fair, I reread most of Volume 1 twice. The assassination plot makes sense at the very beginning where they like knock out the crystal palace and then him and Rose go have sex. Like that made sense, but it kept jumping in and out of making sex. I have sense. <laughs> and, uh, and sex. And sex. Yes. Yeah. Volume one just was a cluster. What, what about you, Adam? Where did it start to make sense? For I you? feel like, you know, maybe like 20 pages in or so, but like I took that break and I, and, you know, came back to it. I think it was like, I'm looking at it now. I mean, yeah, the first, the first third was pretty confusing. So maybe book, book one was like not so great for me did you did you like it once it started started making sense or was it one of those things where you you just liked it more compared to what you read earlier that's you know i didn't dislike it i guess i kind of liked it but i think my major issue with it aside from the like maybe making sense is that i wasn't really i didn't find luther all that compelling he wasn't a character yeah no he wasn't right Yeah. yeah Did you did you guys read that short comic, like the first appearance of Luther yes, Arkwright? Yes, I did. That yes. was, did you read that Roman by any chance? I don't know where would it have been. It was it, I, it it's called the Papist Affair, and it's a, basically a very short strip uh, with oh, a, yeah, bunch of, a bunch of you've that. yes, I did. Yeah, yeah, a bunch of biker nuns are trying to yeah. get Luther Arkwright to steal some shit from Cardinal Hitler or something like that. I forgot what he's he's kind of like a rabble rouser ne'er do well character and, that, and then okay. so if if that was what luther arkwright had been like literally every five pages is a newspaper column or an entry of luther just wrecking havoc on a different parallel earth or saving nuns or something or killing a, a random hitler like that would be great but trying to thread a narrative plot in hollywood cinema form didn't do it for me yeah i feel like i feel like his character was like so much more developed in that like short papist affair than it was in the entire book like he's he's like willing to like steal stuff and go sell it for people he's kind of just doing this for the money i don't know i felt like he was way more developed 
And also, he kind of looks like a weird Jim Morrison. He's wearing leather pants and, like, the open shirt. I don't know. Yeah, so I felt like if it had all been like that, I would have been much more into it. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I was sort of shocked at, at seeing that version of Luther Arkwright, where he's basically a scoundrel. And he's actually a lot of fun in that version. He got really, really self-serious, almost sort of like this Buddhist or Christ-like figure who doesn't really have a personality. And I'm not I'm not quite sure why that why that happened, because I agree with you, Adam. I mean, if if Brian Talbot had imbued Luther Arkwright with that irreverent personality that he had in the short strip, this would have been a lot of fun to read. But he decided to get serious. Well, so the one thing I've said before, Ryan, is when any medium disturbs me, I'm like, oh, there's something or not disturbs me unsettles in a good or bad way. Right. And the thing that unsettled me in this was Cromwell, like the character of Cromwell and again, maybe it's just hitting too close to home and, and our current situation of incompetence or malfeasance in our leadership. But I feel like we're living in a parallel earth right now. And yeah, Cromwell being not quite an agent of chaos, but an agent of these disruptors effectively. Like, I'm just like, uh, I get I, like I'm flipping through some of the Cromwell pages and it's just upsetting. He's just an upsetting person. Well, he's a, the, he, the weak man who wants to be a strong man, who I'm sure we're all familiar with that archetype, unfortunately. I don't know who you're talking about. No, but I have the same, yeah, the same feeling. There's like that, it's like page 105 in the version I have where he's like, you know, saluting all the troops. It's like who Trump wants to be. Like, that was the feeling I got. I was like, this is what Trump, he wants his little military parades. He wants supporters. He wants to be this Cromwell character. I mean, minus what happens to him in the end. So yeah, I found it like a little bit disturbing in that way as well. It's incredibly visceral the way he illustrates Cromwell. Like there's always these close-ups of his venereal it's sores. Yes, sores. Yeah. Yeah, he's actually like one of the most palpable characters. You know, because Luther Arkwright's sort of like a generic, good-looking dude. He's always kind of has a sort of halo effect around him, and everyone else kind of has the same thing. It's 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 the 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 dirty people like Cromwell or who's who's the uh, the guy who farts a lot. Depressions. <laughs> Is that the guy with the top hat? Yeah, oh, yeah the guy yeah, with yeah. the top it's hat. Like, oh, the side, the Harry shape. Fairfax. Harry Fairfax. Yeah. Which also kind of has a very distinct personality, even though most of it revolves around him voiding his bowels. All right, so until we started talking about Cromwell, I couldn't put my finger on it, whose artistic style, modern artistic style, Talbot reminds me of. And it's Garth Ennis, his sidekick on Preacher. Dylan? Steve. Yeah, uh, Steve Steve Dylan. Dylan. When I look at the pictures of Cromwell, and again, Dylan has a much cleaner style, not this kind of ash can because he was drawing for color. But yeah, like, and even like uh, the inspiration for, God, what was the name of the main villain preacher? The, the bald guy. Like, I just get those kind of vibes. Um, star, get, right? That was. Yeah, Hair Star, Hair Star. He's, and Hair Star was a little bit more Dr. Evilly than Cromwell was. He was a character. I, I would argue Star was almost a character of Cromwell. And I wonder if there's a loose inspiration here because guys like Ennis and Dylan would have been reading this as kids. It's actually interesting that you kind of picked up on Steve Dillon because uh, that's actually it was it was Cromwell who made me think of R. Crumb. The just just the leering, the just the leering hmm. facial expressions, the yeah. teeth, that that incredible cross hatching, and then also the, those close ups of the sores and the saliva. That all that's what that's where I started thinking. Oh, there's some R. Crumb here. I don't know for sure if Brian Talbot was influenced by R. Crumb, but that's that was where I made the visual connection. 
The cross hatching is it's interesting that you bring it up. It reminded me I did a lot of uh, printmaking when I was younger, and it reminds me a lot of uh, dry point etching or zinc plate etching. And so to imagine this is being done with pen and paper versus it feels like it would actually be easier to do on like a zinc plate and print these pages. What, what did you guys think about Arkwright's come to Jesus moment? You know, where he gets where he dies, and he's kind of resurrected and but he's still like an angel of death. I felt the, the the as he was like becoming enlightened, that was really the point where I almost stopped reading for a while. Like that part, like it's just like the run on sentences, and it's just, he's just like throwing out like <laughs> words like, together. It's like the garden of earthly delights. Arkwright embraces the black Madonna, the divine consort Aphrodite. I was just like Adam. So I gotta ask. Like I forced myself to read them. I was like, I'm gonna power yeah, through. Yeah, me too. Please yeah. Me. I didn't miss any of them, but I was just like, this is, I, but I almost, I, I wanted to skim. I did not. Oh, wow. You got some more, more willpower than I do. Cause I did actually <laughs> end up skimming this. <laughs> yeah, damn it, Ryan. You're the one who made us read this. Yeah. This is your book, man. <laughs> I, there was actually, there was one page that was interesting and in, in, in all of that. And I think it's as he's dying, he just thinks of all the women he had sex with because it's like a page where it's just like, and here's all the women. And I thought, <laughs> oh, all right, <laughs> that's kind of, that's kind of funny. I don't know if it was meant to be or if it was meant to be serious. Sometimes it's kind of, it's actually kind of hard to tell with Luther Arkwright because the character never really smiles. He's always just very serious about everything. But, but the circumstances. Well, a missed opportunity in the death. And I've seen it done better in the modern era of comics. I Look, the main character dies. The name of the main character is on the book and I have a third volume I know I'm going to read. So maybe when these came out, they, they didn't know. But... They didn't let it sit for a while that Luther was dead. I mean, they kind of did in the sense that people were kind of talking and Rose was having a feeling about him. But in like the modern era of comics, when a main character dies, they leave them dead for two to three issues. And you watch the consequences of that death before maybe you find out they aren't dead. So it didn't the resurrection didn't feel earned to me. Because I feel like he died, and a few pages later, I knew he was going to come back because he already had had so many Zen Buddha moments of, you know, focusing his chi or whatever he was doing. <laughs> yeah. Actually, that was that. You speaking of consequences, Roman? What you were just talking about—the consequences of things happening, of Luther dying or whatever—that is actually what was really unclear to me throughout all of this. What are the consequences if Luther fails? What are the consequences if Luther dies? What are the consequences if the disruptors gain control of this particular parallel? And the, actually, I kind of wonder if that's why Brian Talbot suddenly just focused on this royalist versus Cromwell uh, conflict. It was relatable. Because it was relatable. It's relatable. It's rela- There's like, oh, if, if, if the royalists fail, then Cromwell will continue his iron hold over, over England. Um, this despicable visceral figure yeah right and so it kind of like meant that he didn't have to figure out what the consequences were if the disruptors because i don't even know what the disruptors really want like they don't want to destroy the multiverse because they're in the multiverse right i mean you don't want to destroy you don't want to shit in your own home they're too generally they're too abstract until he meets them at the very end yeah it's 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 like he I, don't, I actually kind of think Brian Talbot didn't fully figure out how the parallel Earths work, how the disruptors work, other than kind of having a general origin story. And then when you realize he couldn't figure it out, he just focused on one particular conflict that he could kind of relate to and kind of string human characters uh, along with. I don't know. That's a theory of mine. 
Well, I, I mean, going back to what you were saying, like I, I also felt like, like about the death not being earned because he was like this Christ-like figure. There was no doubt he was going to come back. There was no doubt he was going to be victorious in the end. There was no doubt it was going to have a happy end. You know, like if he had actually died or if he had, if there were some stakes, but it felt kind of like without stakes because he was this like Christ-like figure who was destined to succeed. One thing I did like is, you know, they they intro him as this guy who has all these powers and they show him using the powers and they're interesting, but seeing that they drain him and like he has to replenish his chi, I, I keep coming back to chi because that's the concept I understood it to be, even though they didn't call it that, but the, like he had to charge up and it took work to charge up. He couldn't just like go. So when he goes and attacks the Cromwell cabinet, you know, it takes everything out of him and he has to make a choice. And I think is he killed an innocent to like get the the admin who walks in the room, right? To to get his powers back. So that's the one thing uh, where with with Luther that I appreciated. The badass powers come with a price mm. and it takes work to recharge. Well, I, I did like I have to admit I did like seeing the alternate earth versions of prince charles and uh, and princess anne and actually i think uh, princess diana also shows up very briefly but where's uh, camilla where's camilla <laughs> no Cam no camilla she's and actually i so i i didn't actually realize that this was you know i don't know the royal family i don't watch i haven't watched the crown in a while so i didn't actually realize that okay this charles and this anne they were actually real members of the royal family of course i should have but it just kind of eluded me until I saw Diana and I realized, oh shit, these are all real people in the 20th century royal family in this alternate universe. But it's funny, I did end up reading the um, sequel to Adventures of Luther Arkwright and Princess Diana is in that one. She's just in like a, a madhouse. She's gone insane. Would you, re would you recommend reading the other one? Yeah, yeah, it's really different. It's really? really, really different. It's it, it makes sense for one thing, and there's a really there's <laughs> it, took there, him, it took him a decade, but he learned. So so yeah, so you know how at the end, Princess Anne gives birth to Luther Arkwright's twins and um, mm. goes charging off naked into battle. Uh, this so the the sequel takes place 23 years later and follows Luther Arkwright's daughter, who's a 23 year old woman who's kind of like beset upon by migraines, and it's her origin story. It's a lot more linear. There's also a racial component to it that isn't in Luther Arkwright. It looks at Princess Anne's version of England and what she has become. And it's, 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 pretty, it's pretty ghastly. But at the same time, it's a much different aesthetic. You know, her version of England is the antithesis of what the Puritans tried to establish, which is, this, which is kind of like grimy and Dickensian. Her version of London is... Uh, beautiful and artistic, full of these elaborate structures. It's in full color, and it's a much more cheerful-looking book. But underneath it all, there's like a lot of real nastiness and psychic vampirism. Let's just say. I think the real question: How much tantric sex is there involved? Okay, in actually, I wanted to know. There's, there's, there's not a lot of tantric sex, but I wanted. To, do do either of you know anything about tantric sex? Because. <laughs> I know that Sting is yeah. really into it. That's what I know about it. Do you know what it is? It's about delayed gratification to get greater gratification. And I believe that's the premise of it. The end. Wow, that was really, that was well done. Yeah. yeah. I, bravo, Roman. So, so, yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, the other thing about 
tantric sex. The first time I heard about it was Grant Morrison's The Invisibles. And I yep. know Grant Morrison was very much influenced by Brian Talbot. They're both uh, British comic. So I'm like, what the fuck is up with these British comic book creators and tantric sex? Was it this? I, I kind of think Alan Moore has referenced it before. It seems to be this motif among the, that new wave of British creators that came up in the 80s and 90s. I'm just noticing this. I have no idea why. Well, I, I mean, yeah. I, I flip, flip that on its head. I think the counterpoint is Americans tend to have a reputation, especially among Europeans, as kind of being a little too Puritan about sex. And in Europe, it's just kind of a thing. And that's casting a wide assumption on Europe. So it doesn't surprise me that British comic book writers, especially when we talk about like the target audience, would kind of reference it and kind of go full bore into it. And I feel like the 80s, like tantric sex, like was something people talked about, I feel like when I was in high school. Also, nymphomaniacs like that was a real 80s thing like oh do you hear about you know lucy she's a total nympho like that was that was the 80s what was going on i don't know but i feel like tantric sex and nymphomaniacs there's something there (laughs) so basically we're just picking up on a trend from from the 80s i mean it might be just brian talbot glomming on to whatever is the kind of hot kind of bohemian I mean, thing it of was that like era. when yeah, yeah. nachos in the 80s people like discovered nachos and it was like a thing that people were like making nachos at home it's look, the same I, thing with nymphomaniacs and tantric sex and nachos no i look as a marketer i think he's just playing to his audience who is the target demographic that were reading these ashcan tabloid size magazine comic books in the uk it was teen boys who had grown who wanted something who liked the medium who you know were weaned on superheroes and you had to and at this stage they were they were into superheroes in their um adolescent years and now you know they're hitting puberty and let's show a lot of things those things being sex and naked women do we see a little bit of luther naked sure but there's way more payoff for little boys and this book is not Comics Code approved, so you know, because it's not printed in America. So I, I think in some cases it was good for the story, genuinely. Bringing in some of the Eastern philosophies, again, chi and replenishing your soul through meditation and other things. But in a lot of cases, I, I think it's like thinly veiled soft porn. And, yeah, and that's okay. okay. So- no, no, no. So, so I mean, despite the serious themes that this book endeavors to take on, is this ultimately just an adolescent fantasy kind of gussied up with a bigger vocabulary? Fantasy is, I want the word fantasy to not be an insult to this book because it's fantastical. It attempts themes. It attempts to even say something like, look, we made the Trump Cromwell joke, but there's a commentary on this sort of villain. And the reason this sort of villain is scary is because it's real. So, Yes, but this is science fiction, and the best science fiction, as I've said before, Ryan, is when it's a commentary on the shit that's really out there. But they're like, oh, we're not talking about what's really... I mean, this would have been written, what, in the Thatcher era? So the fantasy elements of it aren't just... It's not just tits in the Hobbit, you know? it's There is something going on here. (laughs) Well, one of the things I really liked were the little kind of like news updates. When when shit starts to hit the fan, you get the updates from all the different. What's going on in the world? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, I love that. And and it also felt like kind of like looking at the news now in our real lives. You're just like. Yeah, it was like a news. It was reading a news ticker. Australia killer flu epidemic. Moscow statue of Stalin weeps blood. I mean, yeah, that could be happening here. 
So, you know, the, last last week we, we had a multiverse uh, epic. You weren't here, Adam, but it was called Black mm. Science. And we basically just spent the entire episode shitting all over it. You guys and, were. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then this, year, this, this week we have another multiverse epic, Luther Arkwright. And we've kind of spent the entire episode shitting all over it. No. Um, I, well, no, no, no. I, I, don't, I don't mean that as like, as, as I'm disappointed. I'm just kind of wondering, is there something just about multiverse epics that are just inherently really, really difficult to do? And they, they can be done well. They, they can be done well. I, I think these last two books, though, there's really good stuff to be pulled out of it, but it's no Watchmen. It's no Kingdom Come even, right? Like, it's... I. I think it's trying to take itself too seriously, and that's okay. I love it when comics get serious. But I think it goes a step too far, and it tries a little too hard. But otherwise, it's a solid B in my book. I don't know. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, no, I felt like there were definitely points where I felt like he was trying too hard, and he was kind of like forcing concepts you know, down your throat as a reader. But overall, you know, I wouldn't say we're shitting on it. There were things I definitely didn't like but there were there was a lot that i did like especially in the the you know last two-thirds of the book well the other thing i'd say is it's this when you you read the book in context and know that this was written and published in the mid 70s early 80s that makes it an impressive feat because Mm. so much of our filter and interpretation i've the a couple of the things we've dogged on both all three of us have been through the lens of a current reading sensibility. And some of the things that I I don't think, I think he was making it up as he went. And, but nowadays I guess guys like Garth Ennis before they even put pen to paper on a concept that they go pitch vertigo or someone, they like have their thesis in their Bible of the universe. And I don't think Talbot did. And that's okay. Like I, the influence is great. Back to the Beatles comment. This was like listening to, whatever bands influenced the Beatles. That's what I felt like I was reading. It's not quite as good as the Beatles, but I can see where the Beatles got some of it from. And I can see where Moore and Ennis and Ellis were influenced. And that was pretty powerful to me. And I I would say, you know, pick up the sequel, Course of Empire. It's a lot more cohesive. Luther Arkwright is actually mostly not in it. It's Hmm. it's his, his legacy it's very strongly felt. He does appear. And actually when he does appear, he is still kind of the self-serious character, but at the same time, he's a lot, there's he's slightly more tongue in cheek. And also the other characters have a little bit more leeway to poke fun at him. Hmm. So it's a dark book, but it's also a lot funnier as well. So I would say, you know, if you want to see the sort of glorious and ghastly England that Anne, who, was the victor in Luther Arkwright, the sort of empire that she's built and what it costs for her to do it. Go check out uh, the heart of empire uh, because it is actually a very, very different and very interesting read, but we're not reading that next week. Are we Raman? No, Ryan, we're not next week. We're reading Matt fractions, refreshingly fresh run on Hawkeye. And while you may have seen the arched Avenger in the movies, this book will look and feel like nothing you've seen on the big screen. Described by some as Hawkeye's Day Off, the book spends most of its time in the not-so-cool part of Brooklyn and features not one, but two Hawkeyes. It also features ex-wives, ex-girlfriends, a dog named Arrow, boomerang arrows, and some Eastern European mobsters who say bro a little too often. 
Uh, it's a character-driven book that has a lot of fun with its characters. And so I decided to invite my pal and other podcast co-host, Drew Tarvin, who happens to be the world's first humor engineer, which is a title he pretty much made up with a book that uses humor really well. Drew's the right guy to talk about a comic book about a guy with a bro and arrow. So Hawkeye, next week, you can't miss it. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to it myself. And uh, Adam, thanks so much for, for being here. Well, thanks for having me, guys. This is great.